Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I'm real excited about this topic because this week we're talking to Mr. Richard Martinez of South Florida about the Osceola turkey, getting some local knowledge from down there. Richard, how are you doing, man? All right. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Jacob, how are you doing? Doing well. Richard, I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. Um, This is a a hunt that's almost a dream hunt for probably a lot of guys when it comes to turkey hunters. Um, And I think it's something that it looks very overwhelming. Uh, this whole topic of, you know, getting your Osceola turkey, especially for your slam. Um, and the guys look at weighing the options versus guided and paying, you know, unbelievable, you know, costs for an Osceola t- turkey hunt or to c- try to go DIY in public land. And they see, again, the advantage and disadvantage of each one. And I think hopefully we can lay some groundwork for that today and maybe how a guy can actually, you know, do this hunt, but really try to figure out what it takes to be successful, you know, hunting Osceola's. But to kick us off, Richard, can you give us a little background, kind of, uh, you know, of course, where, where you're from, kind of your background when it comes to turkey hunting and how long you've been hunting Osceola's? Yeah, I'm, I'm from South Florida, and uh, I've probably been, I think, I think this is now my seventh season now going into uh, turkey hunting. And I actually I hunted as a kid, um, just kind of sparingly, and then probably took about probably about fifteen years, twenty years of of no hunting before I picked it up on my own. And I actually started uh, turkey hunting was kind of like the inspiration to get back into it. I had actually started my first season that I ever turkey hunted. I actually uh, tried bow hunting, as you can imagine. Uh, Turkey hunting in Florida in itself is pretty challenging, let alone to go at it with a bow. So it, it took me about all season to finally get a bird in front of me. But I actually did uh, end up calling in a beautiful Tom one morning. He was coming in uh, through some thick brush about 20 yards from me. And, and as soon as I sort of sit, saw him clear the, the bushes, I tried to draw back my bow. And he just looked right at me and ran. So that was my first turkey season uh, uh you know trying to hunt so the next season I, I went back with a shotgun and I actually limited out in my first gun hunting turkey season of, of chasing osceolas and i've just been completely addicted since i mean I, I love hunting i love deer hunting hog hunting small game hunting but just completely lost my mind to to turkey hunting so richard one thing i want to um you know, can I ask you just right off the bat, what was some of the biggest challenges for you when you first started getting into, you know, the kind of the Osceola hunting? I think I mean, probably the biggest challenge is uh, just the terrain and, and sort of figuring out, uh, you know, the, the landscape really. Um, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, a simple matter of, of 
we don't have the the ridges and the you know the bottomlands and the mountains we we don't have any of that really in in our our terrain is there there's there's a wide variety of of terrain but it varies just with the change in in almost inches and feet of elevation you know the the terrain can completely change um you know from from one well corner to the next corner you turn you know you turn around one bend and, and, you know, the landscape's completely different. So just trying to like navigate all that and figure all that stuff out, you know, where are the birds, where do they hang out, you know? And then, you know, on top of that, add to the fact that just the bird itself is, you know, such a, uh, a wary, uh, you know, animal to be chasing after. So, uh, you know, one thing I want to kind of hit on real quick is this, the challenges of, you know, hunting Osceola turkeys. You, you know, you said one is the train, uh, you know, what's another kind of, um, challenging point of hunting these birds and kind of the, the area that they live in? Well, depending on the, the year, uh, I will say for instance, this year uh, we've had a pretty wet year and, uh, the wet and dry season can, can change things dramatically. You, you can be in an area where you were deer hunting and you, you, you saw some, some turkeys or, you know, you saw a great sign and then you come back, you know, a few months later and everything's completely different. Uh, you know, the water levels uh, can change drastically. So for instance, this year we had a lot of rain this year. It's still wet out there and just trying to be quiet in that water is a challenge. Just trying to sneak around, get close to birds, you know, when they're in the roost or or sneak up on a bird, uh, you know, if you hear them gobbling way off, you know, it, it's, it's impossible to, to move quickly through that water. You're, you're going to create a lot of noise, um, and they're going to hear that. So, you know, just, just for, for, you know, instance, this year, that, that seems like that's going to be the big challenge. And you know, last year, it was incredibly dry. So, it was tough to find the birds because they were so spread out. Like it, you know, it, it, it changes things, uh, so drastically, you know, this year it's really wet. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier to, you know, to figure out where those birds are. They're up, they're up on the, you know, high and dry spots. Um, but last year everything was bone dry. So, you know, the birds were spread out all over the place. They were, you know, they're in those cypress, they're in those pines, they're in those hammocks, they're all over the place. And, Whereas this year, you know, we'll be, we'll be looking more in the pines and the hammocks um, that stay dry all year. So, Richard, I want to lay I want to lay a little bit more groundwork um, of just the challenges of you know hunting Osceola turkeys, and then I want to break down these individual topics. Okay, so we talked about terrain, talked about wet and dry year. We're going to come back and really dive in on these. You know, I think another challenge that a lot of guys are wondering is whether or not to you know go public land DIY or to go, um, you know, into using an outfitter and just paying that fee uh, that they're charging at a very high rate, uh, but for maybe for a higher odds of success. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a few options out there. Um, you know, if, you know, honestly, if this is about completing your sa- uh, slam, you know, and checking a box off um, and you can afford it, I would say go with an outfitter. Um you know, there's a lot of great outfitters, very reputable people out there. Um, you know, look them up. You know, they're reputable if they're booked this year and they can't take any uh, reservations till next year. Um, you know, anybody who says, yeah, we got openings, I would be wary of them. 
at this time of year. Um, but, you know, honestly, if you can afford it and, you know, this is about completing that slam, I would definitely encourage you to, you know, go with an outfitter and go that route. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, you know, support those guys. I've got friends that do it for a living, um, you know, and, and they live for this time of year. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you either, you know, want to go that route of public land or, you know, you're, you know, can't afford an outfitter, which, you know, they're really expensive. There's, there's a few options. Um, the simplest, cheapest, easy option, um, there are, uh, you know, multiple uh, management areas that are out there that are open to hunt um, without a quota permit. Now, I'll get into quota permits in a minute. But basically, you know, you don't have to uh, apply in advance. You just need to have your license, your management stamp, your turkey permit, um, and you can go in there and hunt. The, all the brochures for those management areas are available on the, the Florida Wildlife Commission's website. That's FWC. Um, uh, they've got a great website that will show you what, you know, you can literally type in FWC, you know, what management areas uh, can you hunt turkeys without a quota permit? They've got a map uh, that shows all of those management areas. You'll see them there across the state. Um, and you can go, uh, you know, DIY. That, that's your cheapest option. Um, the next step or the next sort of uh, invested option would be to do a, uh, a quota hunt. And basically uh, in Florida, we have a limited draw uh, quota system whereby you put in every year, there's a lottery, um, and then those permits are, are, are given out in basically to you know, limit the amount of hunters in an area and give a better opportunity and better experience in the woods. Um, now that quota system works on a point system whereby every year that you apply, if you do not get awarded a permit, you will get a point and each year that you apply you'll have more and more points uh which will increase your odds of, of drawing that permit so you know if this is something that's that you know you're not looking to go this season you're not ready to, to you know figure this out uh, you know start building points you can start putting it putting in for uh, the quota permits and just build those points till you're ready i would say anything decent is going to require around two three points um, any, any, you know, management areas that are amazing are going to be four or five points. I don't think there's really anything, uh, that, I mean, there may be, uh, quota permits that, that take six points to draw, but, but really, I mean, for five, you know, if you put in for four or five years, you're going to have your pick of, of, you know, some really good management areas. When you're talking about the quota, is that the same for residents and non-residents? Yeah, right now it is. And that, that's something that might, that may change uh, in the coming years. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to speculate too much, but there's a growing sentiment that some folks want to allow residents to have a better opportunity and to limit the out-of-state opportunities to draw those quotas by, by basically capping them at certain percentages. But right now, um, that's not the case. So, you know, that could, if that does change, you know, you're talking about two, three, four years from now, you know, the, the rule changing process is a slow process and takes a few years to cycle through all that. Um, but, and again, that, that's just sort of like a growing sentiment that's going on right now. So, you know, that, that may not even change. And, 
And a lot of that has to do with, I think, the popularity of going out of state and, uh, and you know, basically uh, what's been going on lately with our season uh, down here in Florida and, uh, and just sort of the popularity of, of coming down here and, and trying to get an Osceola. I, I think with, you know, as social media and YouTube and, and all that has proliferated, um, you know, people have sort of like, uh, learned about the different opportunities we have here. And, and you know, it's tough to even kind of talk to you guys and, you know, divulge this information. Cause I know some of my buddies would, would, you know, be upset with me, but you know, I, I honestly, I think it's important to share, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the long run here and, and playing the long game, you know, I think it's important that what we promote our sport, but you know, that, that's basically, uh, you know, what's been going on down here is that we get a lot of out-of-state pressure and it grows and it grows, you know, every year. You know, one thing I'd be curious with, and well, I want to stay on this topic of the quota uh, versus open kind of permits, non-quota areas, um, but, uh, you know, kind of with this, I'd be very curious, and maybe you know, but maybe there's nothing been published, but what the success rate of non-residents coming down hunting, especially the non-quota wildlife management areas and kind of during the open season, what their success rate is uh, being a non-resident compared to residents. That'd be very interesting to figure out those statistics. Uh, so you can see it, actually how challenging it can be for a non-resident. Uh, Rich, I mean, do you know of anything that's been published like that? No, I, I haven't seen anything like that. I, I don't know if FWC's collected that information. I mean, it's it's got to be out there because most of these management areas uh, do have check stations. So you do have to report to the check station any harvest that, that you do uh, get. But I can only imagine it, it's, it's pretty challenging. I mean, I've got buddies who it's taken them two, three years to, you know, find that success on public land. And and that's with, you know, the, the opportunity to scout before season and, and to become familiar with those management areas. So, um, you know, for guys that are just coming in out of state uh, into a management area, you know, one or two days uh, before season opens, um, you know, unless they've got a buddy down here who's given out some, some intel, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to have a real tough time. Um, trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, it's it's not easy. I know there's a lot of great YouTube videos out there um, that you know really show the beauty of this place and you know how how just how different everything is down here. And uh, you know, I, I think one of the things that you don't see highlighted is it's just like the hard work that goes into figuring this place out. I mean, even as a resident, you know, it, it takes a lot of scouting. I mean, we don't have like a, you know, a very, you know, wild, uh, you know, population of turkeys here. Uh, you know, it, it's tough to find them and the terrain's tough. They live in thick stuff. They're quiet birds. Um, you know, so there's a lot working against you. So this is on the topic of the quota and quota versus kind of open permit areas that are non-quota. Um, We'll go into a story a little bit later on of a of a spot that I hunted down there um, on an open permit or non quota wildlife management area, and we'll go into that that uh, fiasco of a hunt. But before we do, I really want to talk about you know what is the advantages and disadvantages of both the quota areas and also the the non quota or open permit uh, management areas that someone can hunt. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, there's there's a big difference in the amount of pressure, um, the amount of people uh, basically that are in there. 
um, you know, you're going to be dealing with man in those in those management areas that are open without a, a quota permit. You're going to be dealing with hundreds of people, uh, and on some of those management areas, you're going to be dealing with hundreds of people, um, you know, in there trying to go after the same birds that that you are, and those. Quota permits, you know, they do allow uh, the pressure uh, or they do control the pressure by limiting the, those amount of hunters. So, you know, a, a lot of those quota permits, what they'll do is you'll have uh, they'll, they'll split the season up into weekends. So, for instance, they'll have three quota permits or four quota quota permits for each weekend of the hunt. And that that weekend will last, uh, you know, three, four days. So you'll have four days to hunt. And for each permit, uh, for example, they may limit it to, you know, 30 quota uh, per weekend or 50 quota per weekend. So, it, you know, it gives you the opportunity to get away from people, gives you the opportunity, you know, to really hunt birds, um, you know, without that pressure sort of changing everything on you. Um, not to say that, you know, you can't experience that in, a, in an open uh, management area. I mean, I, you know, I... I, I would say most of the birds I've shot were in those areas uh, without a quota permit. It just, you know, it takes uh, a little more effort getting away from people. You know, you're talking about you need to be two, three miles, um, you know, away from the trail just to start, you know, to, you know, shake off that pressure and, and get away from people. But, you know, I, I've years ago when I first started out and, uh, you know, I, I'd sort of, uh, hunt closer to the trails, you know, I'd, I'd sit there and before season start, I'd scout out, you know, a buggy trail or something. And, and, you know, we'd see tracks all over it. And, and, you know, maybe we saw some birds strutting on those trails and, you know, and then season opens up and, and, you know, you've just got people moving up and down those trails. And I've, I've tried to hunt those before, but, you know, you've got guys who will drive up on ATVs, get off the ATV, yelp, and then get back on the ATV and then drive on, you know, you've just got every kind of hunter you can imagine um, just going after it in those, in those open areas. So it, you know, it's just a different, it's going to take a different kind of effort. And that's not to say, you know, I'm sure there are dudes that, you know, go into those open areas and they're, you know, half mile from the road and, and, you know, they may just get into something that, you know, a spot that was overlooked or, you know, they just might find themselves, you know, real close to a bird that, that no one else, uh, you know, heard or, you know, anything's possible. So, you know, I don't want to naysay on that. But, you know, generally those, those quota permits, they just, you know, they, they allow you to hunt without having to deal with so much pressure because, you know, Florida public land is, is, is tough in that regards. You know, you just got a, a lot of folks, uh, you know, who've got the same idea that you do. So, you know, one thing that you're talking about both with the quota and non-quota, you know, they definitely one disadvantage with the, with the non-quota would be a course, you know, you have to put in for that. And also, like you said, if there is regulation that changes in the future, their point creep is going to be a huge issue where it's going to be, there's so much people at certain pool levels of, you know, three, four, five points. If you start out with one point, statistically, it's going to be a very, very long time, if ever, if they, you know, change what you're talking about, where there's a smaller pool of people every year that get drawn for those quota hunts. It's going to be much more difficult in the future to draw those with point creep, if that does happen. 
But, again, you get a place with a lot less pressure, which is really nice. And we're going to get into hunting pressure a little bit later on. But I want to I jump back and talk about one of the challenges of hunting Osceola turkeys, which is the terrain and habitat. Well, let me – before we get – I should mention one more thing regarding the permits. There, There's another type of permit that, that I should also met, uh, mention, and that, that's the special opportunity hunts. So we've got a, a whole other segment of permits um, – that there's basically uh, seven management areas where um, it doesn't require or the point system does not apply. And uh, you apply by, by buying uh, basically like a, like a raffle ticket. So for $5, uh, you, you know, buy a, a chance to throw your name in the hat. And basically uh, you can, you can spend as much as you want. So, so there are guys out there who will spend, you know, two, three, four, five hundred dollars every year, and draw that, you know, draw those permits every two, three years, uh, and you know, sort of play the game that way. And once you draw those permits, then you have to pay the fee for those permits, which is fifty to one hundred seventy-five dollars, uh, is what they range at. And there's seven management areas uh that you can apply for those special opportunity hunts so there's sort of like this half world between like you know like the the sort of sort of like a, a you know paying those fees to, to hunt those guided hunts and then you know putting in for those quota hunts whereas you know if you really want that diy experience but let's say you've got the money uh you know to 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 invest in it you know, you can you can put down five hundred. You can put down a thousand dollars buying those five dollar tickets. You know, get your name in the hat. You know, x amount of times and and up your chances. The more money you spend into those special opportunity hunts, and then even once you draw the permit, uh, you you then have the option to buy it. So you know, for instance, you can't travel or something like that. Then you you could return the permit as well. So. It's another opportunity, and those special opportunity hunts are are really good quality areas. I mean, areas with that you know the FWCs identified that are you know hold a lot of birds. You know, really good, uh, good turkey hunting opportunities. So, and I should also mention you know regarding any of these permits, you know, you may start, scratch your head and be like, well, what do I apply for? You know, I don't know what to apply for. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what management areas are, are good and bad. Um, but, you know, if you're willing to do your homework, FWC post-harvest reports on their website. All you need to do is search, you know, Google FWC harvest reports. Um, you can search by region. You can search by area total. And you can see right there, you know, how many birds are taken every year. So if you're wondering if, you know, X management area is any good, um, to put in for a quota, you can, you know, sit there and do the math and figure, you know, you see every year, okay, they give out a hundred quota permits and 10 birds get shot, you know, or they, they, they give out 50 permits and 10 birds get shot. Then, you know, you can start to start to, you know, get a sense of, you know, what, what your better opportunities will be. And see, that's something that's very fascinating. I didn't know that, but it's really cool to see, uh, you know, the state of Florida and F uh, it's FWC, correct? So, so to kind of see the opportunities that, you know, are out there for, um, 
not only you know open permit areas, but having both a preference point system and a lottery system to be able to get opportunities to hunt Osceola turkeys, that is fantastic. Dude, I did not realize that. That's such a cool opportunity. And really, for other species, especially in the southeast and some of these uh, areas, that would be a really interesting way to get more people out there and kind of get after um, some of these different kind of hunts. So that, that's really cool. I'm glad you shared that. Um, and, again, it's just kind of interesting to see what FWC has been doing. Those special opportunity hunts, they do them for deer too. So, you know, if, if you wanted to, you know, whitetail deer hunt down here and, you know, you, you've got $200 you can spare, you know, and, and you're just like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll invest $200 every year and then maybe I'll draw it every two, three years. But if I do draw it, you know, that special opportunity hunt's going to be, you know, I'm going to see deer, I'm going to see turkeys, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have that experience. So, you know, it's just a, a better quality hunt and, you know, just a different way to, to approach it if, you know, if finance isn't really what's holding you back. Of course. Well, you know, I want to get to, the, again, the topic of the terrain, the habitat that these, you know, turkeys like to live in. I know Osceola's cover a wide range of area in South Florida, or just in Florida in general. Uh, it's actually kind of amazing, especially when you realize truly how big Florida is and kind of how, um, you know, some people say it's a small area that they cover, and maybe for some people it is, but when you look at it on a map, it's actually – quite a lot of, uh, you know, this mileage um, from all the way, you know, super South Florida, which I've hunted very South Florida, and we're going to talk about that in just a hot second, and, you know, all the way up to, you know, around Lake Okeechobee and everywhere in between, you know, it's a wide range of areas to hunt, but the terrain and habitat is something very, very interesting, because a guy like myself coming from Alabama, back in 2018, I hunted down there, I was on a business trip, and I knew I'd be down in, in South Florida, I knew it was um, during the time of the year when this one management area uh, was um, had non-permit or non-quota hunts, so open, you know, I guess you call it open permit, whatever you call that, and I decided to take my shotgun down, I was driving down, I was able to take my shotgun and all my gear with me, I'm like, I think I'll have a couple days maybe to hunt, if I don't hunt, no big deal, because I was traveling around to a bunch of other states, I was going to buy a license as I was going to different states to hunt, um, and that spring was quite fascinating, well, I had a meeting canceled uh, for one morning. I was like, hey, I'm going to go hunt the next morning. So I had my shotgun, got my permit, bought my license, got everything I needed, drove out to the spot, and I scouted it the day before as in scouted access. That's all I was looking at because I didn't have time to actually go out in the woods because I had a I was in between meetings. Drove out there, checked it out, and I had been looking on OnX for about three weeks previously. And I'm like, okay, you know, I had an idea of what it looked like on OnX. I was seeing, you know, I was hearing guys talk about oak hammocks. I was hearing people talk about, like, these kind of savanna grass areas and, you know, different type of timber. And coming from Alabama and just the southeast where you're dealing with pines and hardwoods and rolling hills and, you know, swamps, you know, I had an idea of maybe what it would look like. Well, I get down there, and it is nothing like I thought it was going to look like. I felt like I was on another planet, okay? The area I was on, which is a very popular unit, um, just very vast I get down there, and what I thought was oak hammocks was these swamps. It just, you know, standing water, trees, kind of cypress knees and everything. And, you know, these areas where I thought was water was these wide open savanna grass areas. Now, it was a dry year that year as well, so that does play a factor. But everything was flip-flopped. Where the trees were at, where there was water, where there was not trees, where I thought there would be water, it was all dry land. And uh, I hunted for all of about three hours that morning until I had um, a call come in that I had a meeting I had to run to, the meeting got rescheduled. But just being out there and just kind of, you know, walking around and not going terribly far, I only got in about half a mile uh, from this one access point. 
it blew me away. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, if I had four days down here, I would not know what to do, man. Just because the habitat is so different from anywhere I've ever seen before. So can you explain like the wide range of different habitat types and train types down there? And, and then we'll kind of maybe piece those apart and kind of how all of them might differ just a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I you know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges and, and probably, uh, you know, what you face uh, e-scouting online is is just how much things change um, from year to year, and uh, like I said, you know we've got we've got a very dramatic wet and dry season, and for the most part, um, traditionally that peaks in the, the the wet season peaks in September, and then we're about at our driest in May. Um, that's generally, uh, you know, how it works down here. But uh, depending on, you know, what happens throughout the year in the bigger rain events we get throughout the year um, can sort of push that needle, uh, you know, later in the season, earlier in the season uh, from year to year. So, you know, it, it's incredibly important, um, especially when you're looking at these satellite photos, um, to look at, like, I, I'll use Google Earth, and it'll show you, like, the year and the month that it was taken. Um, you know, once you get an eye for these things, you'll, you see, you, you can see if it's wet or if it's dry or, you know, sort of like what wet and dry looks like on the satellite map. But if you look at the, the month on, the, on, the, on that satellite image and the year, it'll, you know, it'll tell you, is this a photo in May? Is this a photo in June? Or, you know, is this a photo in October? Um, and you'll be able to kind of see, uh, you know, what's going to be wet when, um, because it'll also allow you to like cycle through, like on Google earth, you can cycle through, uh, you know, the history of a satellite image. And, you know, you could look at one area and then sort of say like, man, this area looks good. I bet there's turkeys in there. Um, you know, and then cycle through and see like different months, different years of what that area looks like. And then all of a sudden you'll start seeing like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, you know, this is always completely underwater at this time of year, maybe not, or, you know, or vice versa. So, you know, it, it's incredibly challenging not to be here, um, and to see what's going on down here. I, you know, I just, today I had a, 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 a guy I met last year, um, out there hunting and, uh, you know, he was, we talked briefly about, you know, uh, last year we talked briefly about where the birds were going to be. And, and I had told him, you know, oh, it's a dry year. Um, you know, I, I bet they're in the Cypress. I bet they're in those domes. And, uh, and this year I'm texting with them and, and I'm like, Hey, it, you know, he was asking me about the water levels and I was telling him it's a wet year. So I don't, you know, they're not going to be in those Cypress. So the things he learned even last year um, won't necessarily even apply to this year because the birds are going to be in different places. And, you know, like I said, with that wet and dry season, um, it can have that effect on the terrain. You know, we don't, like I said earlier, we, you know, we don't have mountains and, and you know, bottomlands and, and ravines and, you know, we, we don't have any of that. Um, but we still have these dramatic differences um, in inches and feet uh, based on that water. Um, and there's basically, uh, you know, uh, the terrain changes with elevation. And, you know, you might laugh because if you go up two feet, then, you know, all of a sudden the terrain changes. You go up another foot and then the terrain changes and it's all based on that water. 
So primarily the, the driest, the highest ground um, are typically the hardwood hammocks. Um, and that, those are going to be filled, you know, those, that's where your oaks are. That's where, you know, your cabbage palms are. Um, that's, that's those hardwood hammocks. They primarily stay dry uh, throughout the year. I mean, if there's a really high water event like a tropical storm and a hurricane, they'll be they could be underwater. But typically, those hardwood hammocks they stay dry um, all year long. So, so that's that's your highest ground. Um, below that, the next step is going to be you know your pine lands um, and your pine islands. Um, you know, this is probably uh what you think of when you see florida woods in mind is you know those those big slash pond uh pines with the saw palmetto underneath it and the, you know those palmetto prairies um you know that that's sort of like they'll be they'll be dry for most of the year they'll probably get inundated a little bit um you know towards that very peak of that wet season uh, you know come around you know september november they may be uh, underwater, but, but for, you know, let's say, you know, nine, 10 months out of the year, um, they're dry. Uh, and then below that, you're going to have, uh, your prairies, um, which are basically, you know, your grass prairies, uh, and, you know, there's, there's different grass prairies depending on where you are and the soil types, um, which, you know, you can go down, uh, can go down a rabbit hole with this stuff, but, um, that you know that that's basically uh, going to be wet uh, again. That's going to be wet most of the year, and it's just going to dry up. Uh, you know, for basically, typically now, usually um, we start seeing them dry up around Christmas, um, and then of course by the time the wet heat season starts in June, um, they go underwater again. Um, so, for instance, you know those prairies, those wet prairies, they're a great place. For birds to be in, um, you know, during the dry season, but in the wet season, you're not really going to catch them in the, those prairies unless they're shallow prairies. I mean, I, I've seen them in in wet prairies, but you know, when you start getting the, into two feet of water, uh, you know, you're not really going to see birds anymore. Um, and then after that, you you've got your cypress swamps. Um, you know, we we also call them uh, they you know depending on their formation or you know how they run. Uh, we call them cypress strand or cypress dome, and um, it, a strand is is basically it's almost like a creek, um, but it's not so well defined. <clears throat> it's basically like a, you know, like a a low river or a slough um, that's sort of like filled in with with uh, with, with woods, uh, and you know, you'll see them when you look on the map. There'll be sort of like lines of cypress, um, and that's what we call a strand. A dome, a cypress dome, is basically uh, when you see them on satellite, they'll they'll look like islands. You know, you'll just see little circles, and uh, basically uh, those cypress trees, uh, you know, they'll find like a little deeper spot uh, to sort of uh, live in because they they like it wet. They want to be wet most of the year. They, they you know typically there's only a few months out of the year um, where where they're going to be where it's going to be dry in those areas. And that's usually from about now uh, till the rains come. So they're usually like the tail end. They're they're like the last thing to dry out. That tail end of the of the wet season. Um, and basically, in those domes, 
their their leaves when when the leaves decompose um, they have an acid in them that breaks down the bedrock and and it basically makes it deeper and deeper and so these little circles form and you know you look at them on satellite and they're like look at all these you know they look like craters on the moon um and that that's basically how they form and we call those domes when they're just like little islands out by themselves and and you know when it's been a wet year they're not really a great place for turkeys turkeys to be in um because those middles can get pretty deep that they may still cruise the edges of those um, and and they also love to roost on top of them um, because water, uh, like I said, with the challenge of this year being, you know, so difficult to move through and be quiet, um, you know, roosting over water like that in those domes uh, is a great place for them to hear things coming in the night and, you know, to hear uh, predators. So, you know, when it's when it's a dry year. And, you know, when it's a real dry year, they love those domes because in the very bottom of those, you know, those strands and those domes and the very deepest parts, the water is, you know, you're, you're still going to, they're still going to be able to find water. You know, you know, birds are always going to be near water. Um, so those domes are a great place in a real dry year. Um, you know, they need to be near water. Um, that, that floor, it gets real open when it's dry, um, you know, because shrubs and those little plants don't grow that well. Um, the, the only time, you know, you'll find it challenging is in those domes that don't really get that deep, um, that ferns will kind of, uh, ferns and sawgrass will kind of really dominate the floor and it, it'll get so, so thick that you, you have a hard time getting through them. And that, those are those cypress that are sort of like, it's not really deep and it's not really shallow. It's sort of in between, but the biggest challenge about that, and I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, I feel for you, for you guys coming out of town is that you, you don't really see that on satellite till you get there and you look at it. Exactly. So, oh, that's, Rich, I got to cut you off. Right there. Bro, that is... Listen, I came down there, and that's what I got into is a bunch of those cypress domes. And I'm like, oh, man, these look like oak hammocks. I don't know what the heck I'm looking at, dude. I've never talked to nobody. When I hear the term oak hammock, I think like a low I'm, spot. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, oh, it's some kind of like little trees or something. I'm like, I think it's on a map on Onyx, it looked like it was higher elevation. I couldn't see the water. I just saw, like, trees. I'm like, okay, every single one of those was these oak hammocks. And I saw exactly what you said, ones that were very deep, and then others that were shallow and had the ferns growing out into them. I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, I am not in my element, man. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what's really what's really sort of also, I guess, the, the biggest challenge, especially for out-of-state guys and not being able to scout, is that a lot, of the a lot of the times you break through those ferns and you get through that like sort of barrier and you get in the back side of that and it's all wide open and clean and there's birds in there. And, you know, that, that's one of the things I think, you know, people don't understand coming from out-of-state or, you know, really, um, you know, understand the terrain um, they just, you know, they see some really thick stuff and there's a, you know, they're like, there's no way there's birds in there and you break through that stuff. And it may be a, a you know, a tough, you know, 50 yards or, you know, it, it may be challenging, but you get through and you get to the other side and all of a sudden, you know, everything is totally clean underneath. And, you know, it just looks like a, you know, like a park underneath there. 
um, in that in that deeper area, you know, where it would typically be way underwater. So, you know, unfortunately, it really requires just that time that boot those boots on the ground to really explore, and, you know, and figure things out. And, you know, like I said, I, I've got I've got friends, you know, who, who it's taken them who live here, who, who it's taken them two, three years, um, you know, to find success down here. And, uh, you know, the terrain is, is just really does not lend itself to, to people all that well. You know, this is a place that, uh, you know, the, the United States Army uh, couldn't, uh, you know, extract the Seminoles from this place. You know, they, they spent one of the, the costliest and uh, longest wars in our history um, trying to chase and go after the Miccosukee and Seminole tribes and were ultimately unsuccessful um, because of this place, because of the challenge of this place. So it's, it's super fitting, I think, that, um, you know, this turkey was named the Osceola. You know, he, he does a great job of, of hiding, uh, you know, in this place, and, and it's definitely uh, quite a challenge to try and find them, at least, you know, on, on public natural lands. You know, when you talk about a lot of the guided hunts, a, a lot of these areas are on farmlands or on ranch lands um, that are probably very comparable to ranch lands anywhere else. Um, you know, any sort of pasture area where, you know, cows are, you know, you're going to have, you know, those nice, uh, you know, big grass prairies uh, that are dry and they've got canals running through those areas to, you know, basically drain the water, uh, you know, off that land. And, and, and those cows, they, they run through those, you know, they, they work through those hammocks and they stomp down all the underbrush. So everything's real open underneath. So, you know, I, I've got a, a buddy of mine uh, with property and we hog hunt on that a lot. And, and oh man, it, you know, that, that it's just paradise on there. It's just like, wow, this is just so nice. I mean, I don't want to call it easy, but it's, you know, in comparison to like natural Florida, um, you know, it's just a world of difference. So, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible challenge, uh, to try and figure out, you know, this terrain, but it's so different than, than anywhere else in the country. I think, you know, it's, it's worth it if you, if you got that mindset just to, to explore. So there's a lot, there's a ton of stuff I want to unpack there. One, one of the main things that you kind of said early on, you were talking about, the different uh, basically habitat types that come with elevation. So like if you could look at like a, a, a good map of the area that shows like those subtle elevation changes and you, you can figure out where those high spots are. Let me ask, are those high spots like consistently good areas to find birds? Like could you look at a map and, you know, identify some of the highest spots on the property that you're hunting and, and go in there with the mindset like, okay, I know that this habitat is consistent and it's probably not flooded right now. Is this going to be a good place to find a bird? Basically, it's. I will say those high spots are definitely always going to be spots to find game. You know, especially when there's acorns in there. Um, you know, they're definitely going to be uh, areas that that game are going to be in. Um, you know, both deer and turkey down here, um, but. As with, uh, you know, our wet and dry season, when it is very dry, the challenge is, you know, uh, gets flipped on you. When, when we have a really dry year, 
those birds are going to be all over the place. There, there may not be in those hammocks anymore um, because they can walk in those prairies. They can walk through the pines. You know, they can walk all through those cypress. They're going to be all over the place. So in a, in a wet year, that's where I gravitate to, towards those pinelands, those hammocks. That's where I'm going to be looking because I know in a wet year, uh, they're going to be in there consistently. Uh, in a in a very dry year, I know I'm you know very very dry year. I know I'm going to find them in, in those cypress heads in those in those domes. Um, so yes, uh, you can find them consistently uh, in those areas, but based on what the water levels are doing. So you you mentioned earlier. It's funny because we were we were trying to record last week, and we were going to do it like around Saturday. And I was like, could you do it Saturday? And you were like. Well, I'm going scout tomorrow, and I'm usually pretty smoked when I get back from scouting. So um, I know that you get after it really hard, especially like right now, which we're recording this on the 19th of February. Um, and, and you're out there right now, you know, well before season scouting. What are you looking for right now when you're putting boots on the ground and going out there to locate birds? What are you trying to find? I'm Yeah, I'm basically, uh, you know, my – I would say – the last two, three weeks, all I was doing was finding uh, buggy trails uh, and finding paths and walking them and just covering uh, as many miles as possible. Um, you know, just walking, 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 walking. As much time as I had, just moving fast, like not running, but, you know, just looking for tracks, looking for that scratching, you know, you know, wing drag marks, if I'm lucky enough, um, you know, uh, turkey poops on the ground, um, you know, just trying to find sign, especially fresh gobbler sign. Um, and really I want to cover as much ground as possible. That, that was like, you know, the last two, three weeks. Now I'm down to, you know, it's like, I've got two weekends left, uh, you know, season down here in the South zone starts, uh, March 6th. So I've got two weekends left at this point. I've got a deck of cards where I know gobblers have been in and now I'm trying to get in there early and figure out where they're roosting, where they're heading to after they're coming down from the roost, you know, where are they hanging out? Just trying to kind of like narrow down, uh, those areas that I found fresh sign in, you know, and, Basically, you know, just like tomorrow, for example, you know, I, I'm waking up at, at 2.30 in the morning and driving to a management area two hours from my house and then hiking into the woods an hour just so, you know, at this point, I'm like, okay, I know where birds are, where are they roosting, you know, how are they using that area? And now I'm just trying to find roost, roosting spots. Holy smokes, man. You weren't kidding when you said you had an early morning. <laughs> Um, yeah. So I, I gotta. So one thing I'm really wondering about is like, for instance, up here in Alabama, you could look at a map and you could you could see like a, a pine plantation or, or or something like that with like a let's say a logging road going through it. And usually, especially if it's on like a ridge top or something, you can walk that logging road. And if there's turkeys around, there's going to be strut marks and scratching on that road and off to the sides of it and everything. And it's just like a good, reliable place to find them. Is there something, is it, is it kind of the same thing in Florida? Like you go walking on a buggy path that maybe, yeah. you know, is adjacent to some good habitat and also, exactly. 
So so that that is the case then. You find the sign like right there on the path? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, a lot of these management areas have uh, you know, off-road vehicle trails and uh, you know, the best thing to do is just walk them. You know, even if you've got uh, you know, the 4x4 truck to to and you know, and suitable tires to to drive them, uh, you know, it just pays to to just walk them, to just walk you know, two, three mile loop, four miles on, on those buggy trails. And, and just, you know, you'll just hit a spot where it's like, Oh, all of a sudden you just start seeing those tracks. And, you know, I imagine, uh, you know, that's just like, you know, scouting those logging roads. So you're, you keep, you, you mentioned a bunch of like prairie and Savannah type habitat. And like, like you said earlier, when you, when, when I think of Florida, especially South Florida, I think about that kind of like grassland habitat. I mean, what are these turkeys scratching in? Um, like around here, you'll see them like scratching at the base of trees and stuff. Are they doing the same thing down there? Are they just scratching like in the prairie, like amongst the grass? Like what are they, what are they after? Well, typically you find it, or it's easier to spot in in those pine areas and in those hammocks. Um, basically, uh, because in those pine areas, you know, they they kick up all the needles, and you'll you'll see those needles are all pulled up. Um, and in the hammocks, you know, you'll see those leaves uh, where you can see bare dirt uh, where they've been scratching. Um, so. You know, that, that's probably the, the easiest bet. You know, I, I have a harder time uh, figuring out that stuff in, in those prairies um, because that ground um, doesn't have the same leaf litter uh, laying up on top of it. And, and the, especially, you know, when you're talking about wet, uh, wet ground, it's, it's harder for that scratching or for those marks to, to stay there. So another, another thing I kind of wonder about is like, you know, you mentioned your your scouting right now, um, and that kind of brings up the question: like, are are these turkeys going to relocate before your season opens? But also, that kind of begs the question: what what are their home ranges like? Like, are these birds moving like a long distance in a day, or or do they find that little core habitat area and just kind of stick it stick to it? Yeah, I think it, man. It, I think it really depends on the pressure. Um, you know, if you've got, if you're in an area, um, where you don't have a lot of guys hunting it, you'll hear the birds in the same spot, uh, consistently or, or, you know, by same spot, meaning, you know, you could be in a, in a, you know, quarter mile circle, um, that they're hopping around or whatnot. Um, but when there's pressure in there, I mean, turkeys just disappear one morning and then they're back the next morning. And, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't know where they go. I don't know how far they go. Um, you know, but it, I think it really comes down to, you know, how much they've been messed with and, uh, you know, how many people have been in there pushing them around because, you know, that'll, that'll shut them up real quick. That, that second weekend of the season and man, everything's, you know, everything's out the window, right? Like that first weekend, you're like, you know, all right, this is my, this is my shot. I, you know, all the things I've been looking at the last, you know, three, four weeks, um, you know, th- they're all going to pay off right now. Um, but that second weekend, it's, it's all gone. It's all out the window. The birds could be, you know, a mile away. They, they could be in somebody's freezer. You know, you don't, you don't know. As, as that season progresses, things come back to normal. You know, I've watched birds, you know, three, four weeks later, and all of a sudden they're doing exactly what they were doing right before season and it's game on again. So, you know, I, 
uh, you know, that, that second, that third week of the season, man, that, that's rough. You know, it, it just, you know, you just scratch your head and, and you just go out there because you can't stay home on the couch, you know. Yeah, and Richard, you know, that brings up a question that I really would want to ask. Um, you know, just coming from a non-resident and, you know, completely respecting you guys as residents and everything else and you, you know, sharing some knowledge with us. Um, but, you know, like a guy like myself or something that was coming down there to try to hunt, you know, DIY and just kind of, you know, see, see what the struggle is all about because it abs- you actually really do have to work for a bird. I mean, uh, I guess something could, I guess you could have a bird laying in your lap, but I highly doubt that after what I've experienced down there in a very <laughs> short window of time. Um, but it's a lot of effort that takes, you know, that's going to have to take place for you to be successful with a little, probably a little bit of luck on your side too, and just, you know, trying to figure stuff out. But, you know, one advantage of you being a resident, of course, is having local knowledge and having uh, the, 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 the resource to be able to go out and scout a lot preseason for a non-resident especially a guy that was maybe uh you know maybe i want to go through two for scenarios if a non-resident drew a quota hunt would you recommend that guy to come down maybe a week or two in advance uh to if he can possibly scout ahead of time or if he can't you know what would be his kind of goal going into one of those quota hunts uh to try to be successful especially if he's got say a week or so to hunt yeah, I would say if he can, you know, afford the time away from work and and be able to travel, I would say absolutely, you know, try and get here uh, beforehand uh, and and try and figure something out before that before that hunt starts. Um, if not, I would say you know you need at least uh, I would say two days minimum um, to figure anything out. And you know, I would say look at that management area on on satellite i mean study that thing look at where those trails are uh, you know and the minute you get here you know walk them just you know cover as much ground as possible and uh and you know just try and find some tracks and if you do you know get in there before the sun comes up and see if you hear birds gobbling or not and you know if you don't like move on like don't don't get stuck on something thinking i know they got to be here um you know just keep just keep covering as much ground as as you possibly can with whatever time you have because at some point you know you're you're gonna cut that track you know you're gonna you're gonna see those gobbler you know that fresh gobbler sign and then um you know have something to work with so i i one question i got is again kind of relating it back to where i'm from in central alabama when i go into a place where it's like i got some like decent terrain and and I got some uh, logging roads cutting through some hardwoods and and there's like a decent understory it's kind of a mix of like young and old trees and I just get a feeling like when I'm in that kind of place when I see that I'm like this is like a turkey spot like this looks like a place turkeys would be what is that for you like what do you walk up on that gets you excited I, w- I would say it's you know it's that floor that uh, that that forest floor um you know when I you know, they always say, you know, turkeys like to walk where, where people walk. And, and I think that's that's definitely true. Um, you know, when when you're in an area where all of a sudden um, that forest floor just kind of opens up and and you can kind of walk through it quietly and, you know, you're not crashing through brush and and stuff like that. I think for me, that's when, you know, I sort of like, you know, the antenna go up and, and I start really. Uh, looking for sign and, and, and looking for clues, um, you know, when it just feels like real good vegetation, like that real open understory, um, you know, when it's thick as, as heck and, 
you're just busting through stuff and making noise and having to crunch through those palmettos. Um, you know, I, I just get a, I just get that feeling right away. I was like, there's, there's no, there can't be any turkeys here. I mean, this is crazy. What, you know, why, why are we in here? Um, you know, and, and you got to think too, you know, these birds, there's a lot of predators down here. You know, we, we live in a very predator rich environment. You know, we've got panthers and bobcats and bears and coyotes and, you know, it, it's just a lot for those birds to, to be worried about. So I imagine they don't want to be in that thick stuff where they could get ambushed. They, they'll want to be in an area where they have a quick exit out or, you know, they can run, um, basically. So, yeah, I would say when that, when that understory opens up, you know, my antenna, uh, you know, goes off. Richard, I got to ask you just a kind of a silly question, dude, but just to see if you've experienced it. You hunt in South Florida. Have you ever had a situation where you ran up on a python? Uh, uh, driving, but not on my, you know, not walking through the woods. So I, I've seen them, you know, uh, like, you know, I was going down a road once and, and it was probably like, you know, 200 yards down the road. And, and I saw what I thought was a log laying across the road. And I was like, Oh, Oh crap. You know, there's a log on the road. We, you know, what are we going to do? And I, I kept driving towards it and all of a sudden the back end of the log started to disappear and slink into the woods. And, you know, this thing was probably like, you know, one foot in diameter, like across a two lane road. So, you know, th there's some pretty fierce snakes out there, but fortunately I I've never come across one uh, in the woods. I just had to ask, man. This like, all, all, the, all these shows and everything. I'm like, when I was down uh -huh. there, I was when I was down there, dude. I might have been more paranoid myself. Just be, I'm uh, just being an idiot. More paranoid about snakes and you know where I was at was known to have you know the, where I was at is kind of the home range of the uh, Florida panther and very close to a specific area that's known for them and all that kind of stuff, and dude. You know, you know, I guess a little bit of black bear, everything. I was just paranoid. I was a little pansy while I was down there, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, scared. I'm thinking of everything else but the birds when I was down there sitting. <laughs> those palmettos and getting around those palmettos dude <laughs> yeah the drier the drier terrain you get into um you know the less chance you're gonna have of coming across pythons you know i think they really like uh wet wet habitats and um you know where we see them the most is in those sawgrass prairies which are you know they're basically like our deepest type of prairies that that run, you know, if, when you think about like airboat country, you know, when you think about the Everglades, um, that's sort of like the habitat that they're, that they're really, uh, you know, flourishing in right now. Um, they're definitely creeping into those drier areas, especially through like canals that, that basically, you know, run the side of all our highways and, you know, they'll, they'll sort of get into those areas, but, uh, you know, I don't think they're, uh, you know, doing as well in that habit in that turkey habitat as they are in those sawgrass prairies. So, kind of circling back to one thing that we talked about earlier in the show, which was like hunting pressure. And one thing that you said that was pretty interesting was the fact that you're walking these trails and, and buggy roads and everything where uh, where people are are able to drive. Uh, so, like, are people like driving past turkeys? I mean, oh, absolutely. For sure. I, mean, I could tell you even last season, just we got, I got in, you know, super early, blew the, you know, alcohol, bird gobbled. We got him. He's, you know, he's, he's close to the road. He's close to one of those trails. And, you know, that, that's the unfortunate thing is like, oh man, you know, somebody's going to hear this bird. 
you know, we're trying to get set up on him and uh, sun starts coming up and, and somebody comes driving through right down that trail. And man, we never heard that bird again. And I'm sure that guy drove within a hundred yards of that bird, but he, that bird never made another noise. We heard him fly down and never heard a peep. So, you know, definitely, you know, that, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of folks, uh, who hunt, uh, uh you know, off, uh, buggies and, and off-road vehicles. And, um, you know, it, it's great because you can definitely get back way back into some areas, uh, that are difficult to walk into. But at the same time, you know, as you can imagine, uh, you may just drive past stuff on your way there. That that's kind of interesting because, when I hear people talk about hunting down there, I kind of picture them like slogging through knee deep water, you know, going way back to some super hard to reach thing. But I mean, you're just walking trails and, you know, finding the birds where they are, not where you think they should be. Yeah. Well, one of the things I will say, like, um, you know, there, there are a lot of trails that are also not accessible by the public. Um, you know, things like fire breaks, um, and things that, uh, you know, our, our management agencies use um, that also, uh, you know, guys aren't, aren't necessarily uh, able to drive on um, that do offer that uh, opportunity to, you know, to, to see the ground and, and to see those tracks in the dirt as well, too. So there's, there's a whole variety. I mean, there, there are areas without any trails whatsoever um, where you're basically just looking for low muddy spots that, you know, those tracks can can sort of uh you know be easily uh made in the mud you know the whole thing of osceola turkeys you know they have a kind of stigma with them of being quiet um you know just kind of overall just not you know maybe gobbling a little bit on the roost and then hitting the ground just you know being quiet i'm sure you know it's, that's more anecdotal than anything everybody's just had different experiences with them but what's been your experience you know hunting these birds as long as you have just overall kind of personality traits first i don't know if you've hunted easterns or rios or, or, or merriams or anything like that but how they may differ from you know some of these other subspecies that a lot of other guys that are listening to the show probably have experience hunting yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, Florida's, uh, you know, and especially South Florida is an incredibly predator rich environment. So, you know, as I'm, as I imagine with any turkey season, you know, when you've got a lot of guys in the woods, birds get quiet. Well, that, you know, that, that's basically how these birds live, you know, every day uh, of the year, uh, you know, uh, underneath that constant um, just amount of pressure so i you know i I, th- I think they really are quiet birds i mean that doesn't mean that you know you, you won't get one that'll just gobble his head off and will go all morning um but generally um i do believe they're very quiet birds i mean typically you know they may gobble their head off on the tree um they'll hit the ground and you know half the time they'll gobble once or twice you'll never hear them again um, sometimes you'll, like I said, you know, every once in a while you get a bird that'll just gobble and gobble and gobble and gobble and he just fired up. But, you know, most of the time, uh, you're never going to hear that bird again. You know, he, like I said, he'll gobble one, once or twice on the ground and, and that's the end of it. I've, I've hunted Nebraska and, uh, I can tell you, um, the difference between Osceola's and and those birds which the area i hunted was in the sand hills which was basically uh you know uh eastern merriam 
Rio hybrids. Um, man, those birds gobble all morning long. They'll gobble, you know, later in the morning. They'll gobble in the afternoon. I mean, I just I could not believe um, how much those birds gobbled. I mean, it was for me, it was it was really fun uh, to hunt because it was just like a lot of action and, and not because, you know, when I'm in Florida, there's no birds. Like I know the birds are there, but, but man, just having those birds be vocal like that is, you know, it's pretty exciting, um, for me. Uh, but I, I definitely believe these are real quiet birds. When, when it comes to setups and stuff like that, when you, when you sit down to actually call a bird up, you know, in other places, you know, where you have terrain, like I, just, I consider terrain like a serious advantage because it, it's so easy to use it to hide yourself and kind of hide the hen and, and make him come looking for you. But down there where it's really flat, are you looking for maybe like smaller openings where the bird can't see as far? Or, I mean, what are your setups normally like when you're actually setting down to kill the bird? Yeah, I mean, most of the time you're, you're not going to see a bird from very far off. Um, you know, usually when I see a bird is when I can shoot a bird. Like once I see him, um, you know, I can pull the trigger. Um, you know, most of the stuff, especially when you're sitting down on the ground down here is really thick stuff. Even that open stuff, you know, once you're sitting on the ground, um, you know, everything close, get, you know, you kind of get closed in real easily. Um, so like, you know, if there is a little opening or if there is like something you think he'll walk towards, like if there's any sort of like a thick spot, a thinner spot, like I definitely think about those things. I definitely try and use that to my advantage. Um, definitely like those fire breaks, um, those buggy trails. I definitely try and use that, you know, especially like I said, when there's thicker areas, um, palmettos, especially, um, you know, when you've got really thick ground cover of saw palmetto um you know and there's a path running through it uh you know chances are that's where the bird's going to walk through so that's the sort of thing that you want to get set up on but you know generally it's a it's a really really thick place i mean i've already missed two birds um in my time turkey hunting um just because they were so close like you know it i've missed I've missed them at 10, 15 feet because they just surprised me. I, you know, I thought they were further away and then all of a sudden they were right here in front of me. And, and it's because of that, that thick, thick terrain. So I'm, you know, I, I would also say the, the last few years I, I actually hunted uh, with a modified choke um, because I, I, I don't, you know, I, I've never even had a 40, 50 yard opportunity or, or, you know, anything like that. Like, I've, I've just not had a bird come at me like that. Um, you know, I would say, I would say most of the birds I shot were at, were at 10 yards. Um, so like I said, like the last two seasons I hunted with modified and, and this, this year I've, I'm now going to a 20 gauge for the first time in my life. And, and I'm going back down to, uh, you know, a tight choke on the, on the 20 gauge, but I'm, I'm also, going to try hunting with a red dot so i i think it will allow me to get away uh more uh with that tighter choke at closer ranges whereas before i was basically you know trying to throw a baseball 
uh, at their head, you know, at, at 10 yards. Uh, Richard, I'm, I'm, I've been curious, especially about setups down there and how much thick cover it plays a factor when you're set up on the ground. Is it a, this very common for you to have to shoot through a little bit of brush when that bird's getting close to you just because of how thick the vegetation really is? Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, half the time that's a real concern. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had a couple birds um, where I had to, to wait for them to, you know, get in a hole basically in that thick stuff or, you know, I could, I could kind of see them, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like challenged with, with palms or, or grass or, you know, just looking for that little window uh, where I could uh, hit them uh, through. Um, I would say that that's definitely an obstacle, especially um, I think in those hammocks um, for whatever reason that, that vegetation that, that, that stays low in those hammocks um, kind of gets at that same level of, of your eyesight or the way, where you're at when you're sitting. Um, whereas in the, when you're in the pines, it, it's kind of like the, the underbrush primarily in the pines are going to be those, those saw palmettos. So you're either going to be able to see or, uh, or you're not going to be able to see. Like if they're there, there's no visibility. And if there's there, if it's clean and open underneath, there's plenty of vi visibility. But I would say, especially in those hammocks, um, that's something I'm nervous about. See, that's one huge advantage, especially for anybody out there that's looking to use TSS or is shooting TSS, is having a higher pellet count and a dense pattern. You know, incorporated with a red dot. I mean, just allows you to throw such a dense pattern. Um, to really have this a ton of, you know, just killing power, especially if there is a situation like that. So I can see that being a huge advantage for you down there, especially. Um, you know, one thing I want to ask, there's, there's two really interesting questions I want to talk about. One is, you know, just overall calling. What is your calling style like down there versus maybe other guys that maybe you've hunted with that maybe hunts more Easterns or Rios or Merriams? What is your calling style from, you know, kind of early morning where you're trying to locate one with an owl hooter or something towards when you try and get on a bird? How much are you calling? What kind of calls do you like to use, actually vocalizations? And how do you know to shut up, especially when you're working a bird that's, you know, notoriously known for being quiet? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I don't think in terms of calling, I don't think there's anything specific, to, you know, for Osceola's or like – I, you know, if you drop me anywhere, I would do the same sequences. I would do the same calling. And like I said, I've hunted Nebraska. So I have, I have had that opportunity to experiment with it out there and have had success. So I would say that like, I'm, you, you're probably going to be hunting, uh, birds just as you would anywhere else. And I would not change if you found success in, in certain calling sequence, I would not change it at all um, if it's worked for you. Um, that said, what's worked for me uh, really uh, is is calling less. And, you know, I, and I know, you know, you can talk to probably a dozen turkey hunters and, you know, six of them may be aggressive callers and, and six of them may not be. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think there's any, uh, you know, uh, th there's a key to this, uh, but what I've found in my experience is to, is to, you know, really lay off the call. Um, I do not call to birds on the roost at all. I will not tree yelp. I will not fly down cackle. 
I will, you know, no soft yelps. I will not make one peep to a bird that is sitting on the tree. Um, in most cases, um, if I were to call to a bird on the tree, he could see exactly where I am uh, anyhow. And I don't think that would do me uh, well um, to then have to be that frozen um, underneath the bird. Um, I also uh, have had bad experiences keeping birds on a tree for a long time. Um, you know, when I first started out as a turkey hunter, um, you know, I would get real excited about hearing that bird gobble. And I would call to him and he'd gobble. And I'd call to him and he'd gobble. And I'd call and I'd be like, man, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to get him. And that just goes on for an hour. And he's still in the tree and he flies down and he's gone, you know. Um, so in my experience, um, you know, I do not make a peep to him uh, on the roost. I will uh, owl call, I will crow call, you know, I will use locators while they're still in the tree. I will try and get as close as I comfortably can while they're still in the tree, depending on what type of light there is or if I know where he's roosted. Um, but basically, once he flies down, um, that's when I call to him. And, it, you know, I'll usually stay chill, uh, you know, just a couple putts. I'll us usually start, you know, putt, 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 burp, 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 just something light and easy. Um, if he responds to me, I know he knows where I am. I know I don't have to say anything to him again. He knows exactly where this hen is. If I call to him again, it's because I want to figure out where he is. Like, if he's not gobbling anymore, if he's quiet, he's not revealing uh, his location. And, you know, I'm not sure, do I stay or do I go? Um, you know, that's when I'm going to call to him. I want to figure out, you know, try and get him to gobble again and reveal himself. And if he gobbles again, you know, if he's close, sweet you know this is working out you know just just hang tight and be patient if he's further away you know move you know get closer like i'm i'm all about being real aggressive with a bird is you know just try and get it getting as close as i comfortably can um given the amount of noise you make and you know just being your ability to move in, in whatever type of habitat you're in um and just trying to you know I always think like, you know, uh, I'm going to try and get to this tree and then one more tree, you know, like just kind of like push my luck a little bit each time, sit down, see if he gobbles again. If he doesn't, then hit him again. And then, you know, like I said, same over and over. If he's closer, you know, you don't need to do anything. If he's further away, um, you know, just try and get in his face and uh, basically, you know, try and and call as little as possible. I, I, I would literally, I'm a real big fan of pot calls, um, especially because I, you know, you can't, you can't hold them in your hand and hold the gun at the same time. Like I'll kind of like lay it down on my, on my stomach when I'm, I'm crouched over and I'll, I'll hit it and then I'll put the, the call on the ground and then I'll just have my gun in, in the position ready to, ready to fire. And, you know, I, I think that also prevents me from, from getting too excited and, 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 and using it too much and calling. But, you know, once I hear that spitting and drumming, there's no more calling, you know, it's just, it's just waiting at that point. Because like I said, from that, from that first time he responds to you, 
he knows exactly where you are. You know, you don't need to call to him again and again and again. You know, um, you know, I've tried uh, when 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 birds are with hens. Um, I've tried to be very aggressive with calling and trying to call to those hens, but I've not been successful in those scenarios. I, you know, I've had a few scenarios where I've got hand up gobblers and those hens are going off and off and off. And, and man, I've, I've heard all the tactics and I've, you know, I've, I've taken the notes down of, you know, folks talking about, you know, just copy the hen and, and it works because I know they get closer, you know, and I know that they, you know, you can hear them get ramped up and you can hear those hens getting closer, but maybe it's, maybe it's part of the terrain and, and that thickness that, you know, we have to sort of like deal with down here that, that maybe that, you know, those hens aren't willing to, to, you know, close in that distance, uh, you know, that she may come in to 30, 40 yards. Um, but you know, he, her gobbler may still be at 40, 50 yards and I'll never see him, you know, so I'll never, I don't even know, uh, you know, if I was successful or not. And, and that, you know, that, that for me was another thing that was really excited, exciting about hunting in Nebraska was like being able to see what's going on, like, you know, being able to call to birds and they're like a hundred yards off and watching them and see them like, come closer, gobble at you and go further away and gobble at you. Like to actually see what was happening was like an awesome experience for me because I, I brought that back down to Florida and, and like, I could kind of like visualize what's going on. Whereas like before I had that experience, I was kind of like lost and like, what are these birds doing? Like he keeps coming over here and gobbling at me and then going away. And, and then, you know, being in Nebraska, I'm like, Oh, there's two hens that are completely silent that are with him the whole time. Like he's never going to come, you know, he's never going to close that distance. So I would say for me, you know, on a personal, my own turkey hunting experience is to call less. Richard, I want to ask you something. Then I want to transition over to Andrew, but you know, just kind of uh, let our listeners know, you know, you, you hunt a lot of public land. You have a lot of experience down there. What has your success been like hunting Osceola's? I mean, are you successful every year? I mean, have you struggled some? I mean, kind of what's been your progression like? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely, definitely struggled at the beginning. Um, you know, I, I had some rough seasons in the start, but at some point, um, something clicked. Um, and I, I'll tell you, I remember the day um, very vividly. And I, I remember it was this, the second day of, of a season. This was, uh, a few years ago. And, um, man, I, the, you know, we had scouted out this area and patterned all these birds and, and man, we had this, we had this stuff like really mapped out well. And like, we, you know, we really felt confident and we went in there opening day and it was absolute silence. Like, not not one gobble and man that 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 killed me i you know i i had i struggled that that night uh and the next morning we went back out there and i was like well you know maybe they'll come back we'll try it again you know like I, you know i'm, I'm don't want to give up yet and uh and i'm sitting there listening and i'm listening and it's getting late in the morning i'm like oh god here it goes again and I hear way off in the distance, you know, like way out there. And I just thought, I'm going to kill that bird. And, man, I just, 
I just went after it and I, I just pushed it and I pushed my luck and I got closer and I got closer and, and I got so close to him that, you know, I, I was at the point where I was hearing his drumming and I was still trying to push my luck a little bit. Like I was, you know, really, really pushing my luck and, and I called to him and he came right in and I shot him and, and you know, something clicked and I've, I've had the fortune with the exception of the year my, my son was born, I had a, uh, uh, I, I had a, a son that arrived during turkey season one year, so it, it killed one of my turkey seasons. But with the exception of that, I, I've been fortunate enough to take birds uh, uh, each turkey season that I've hunted. With it. Also with the exception of that first year that I, that I bow hunted, I, I did not. Um, but what's been... Um, I guess very exciting for me, which uh, also makes me incredibly nervous uh, about going into this year. The last two years, um, I tagged out very quickly. So two years ago, I shot one the first weekend, and then I shot my second one the second weekend. And last year, I shot my first bird on the first morning, and I shot my second bird on the second morning. So I'm kind of getting nervous that I, you know, I might be uh, in for some struggling this year. So I think uh, if I can shoot a bird, uh, at least one bird early on in the season, I would be absolutely happy to, to then spend the rest of the season uh, busting my butt um, trying to get that second bird. I, I you know, I think I've, I've probably learned my most valuable lessons in the turkey woods with my failures. Um, so I, I would... I would not want uh, a season of failure, but I, I need uh, at least uh, some, you know, experience being humbled uh, to keep me in check. That That's a perfect transition to one of the next things we wanted to talk about, which is the early season versus late season kind of time frame and, and what that's like. I mean, for instance, here in Alabama, we open mid-March, like this year it's March 20th, and some guys, everyone goes out there and hunts, but a lot of guys I know, especially the more experienced turkey hunters, are like, man, it doesn't really get good to like April 10th because uh, they're, they, they're hinned up early season. Do you see a similar thing down there? I mean, just how, does, how do the turkeys change their behavior with the progression of the season? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think we uh, experience uh, that, in the same way as sort of the rest of the country. I'll, I'll tell you, for instance, um, you know, I've been, I've been deer hunting in my stand, uh, early, early December and I've heard them a gobble. So like, I, I don't think, uh, you know, our, our season definitely peaks, uh, in, in uh, around this time of year. Um, but, I think there's a uh, breeding going on, you know, uh, for, for a month or so in advance of our season. So I, I think quite possibly Florida's season's timed right. Um, I think, you know, the, like, like, uh, I know for instance, uh, I have a, a friend with property, uh, and he, he knows that birds are already starting to nest now. And we're still, uh, you know, two weeks away from season. So I think, you know, Florida's season's probably pretty well-timed. And those birds are, are pretty much rip-roaring to go, uh, you know, come opening, opening morning. Richard, one thing you said before we kind of got into like the early versus late season is there was that one day 
few a few seasons back you said that it really just clicked for you and it was being aggressive and everything. Can you explain really what clicked and how did that day change the way that you now hunt, you know, and it has helped you be successful? It, it, it was, you know, it was just sort of like a confidence that, uh, you know, I, I think only through failure uh, that I found, um, knowing um, how I failed before um, and, and, you know, having those, uh, having that to sort of guide me, um, I think that's, that's really the key to it. You know, I think you've got to screw up. Um, you know, as for turkey hunters, I think you, you, you've got to make mistakes if, if you're new to this sport. Um, you know, I don't think you can, you know, go out there, uh, you know, a few times, um, and, and, you know, not be able to call in that bird that's, that's gobbling his head off at you, um, and feel bad about it. Like, I think you, you've got to bump birds, like you've got to shoot and miss birds. You, you've got to bump hens, like you've got to screw up and have those failures um, because all of that really uh, is what you'll carry. And, and, you know, and that day, you know, really comes down to knowing exactly what I could get away with. Like I know, uh, you know, when I step on that, when I, you know, uh, when I step on that palm and it breaks, I know that's the end of the game. I know that if I walk through those palmettos instead of the longer way around those palmettos, I know that's what's going to end the game. And that, that only comes through failure. That, that, that is excellent. That, those are some great tips. Now, to, to kind of wrap us up, because I know you got to wake up at 2.30 in the morning to go find some turkeys, um, <laughs> what, a, what is something that you would kind of leave the listeners with? Like kind of a, I don't know, like a, like a, a really just good solid tip about Osceola turkeys in general. Yeah, I would say, you know, you know, I know, I know the slam, uh, and, and the Osceola, uh, you know, comes with a mystique. Um, but you know, I, I think truly this place is a gem that, um, unfortunately I don't think the rest of the country appreciates or understands or really knows about, you know, Florida man is a, is a, is a real joke that, you know, that we all get a kick out of. Um, but there, there's a, there, there's multiple Florida's here. Um, and there's one that I, I always like to refer to as the real Florida. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if, if it's an Osceola Turkey that inspires you to, to find that real Florida, um, you know, then, then I think like, you know, he's, he's a worthy inspiration, uh, to guide you here. But I, you know, I truly feel like if, if folks come down here, um, you know, I, I think there's something else for them to discover, um, and something else for them to take away, uh, besides completing their slam. And, you know, it, I think if they, if they take that journey and, and, and let this world, you know, sort of get under their skin a little bit, I think they're going to find something, um, you know, with a little more value that, that might last longer for them. And, you know, if it takes two, three, four seasons to do it, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's really worth it. I, you know, this is, it's just, like I said, it's such a unique place and it's just so different from, from the rest of the country. I know myself, I'm, I'm just head over heels for it. And, and, you know, I, I can definitely tell you, uh, you know, turkey hunting in Nebraska is is way more fun right 
Um, but this is my home and I love the, the terrain and I love this place uh, more than more than anywhere else. And, you know, and I think there's something that that everyone can appreciate. Excellent, Richard. Well, man, listen, we appreciate you coming on, sharing your local knowledge, you know, sharing your perspective and your experience with us. You know, it is very different. I personally have experienced it, and, I mean, it will absolutely whoop your butt. Um, but I think it's something that everybody needs to experience and try out. Um, you know, whether they decide they just want to kind of – nothing nothing wrong with it, but maybe they just want to, you know, go outfitter, they're going to go with the outfitter, or if they want to take some more time to kind of figure out themselves on public land – you know, Florida has a lot of great opportunity to be able to be had down there. Um, so again, I appreciate you sharing everything, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And again, thank you for coming on and sharing your local knowledge with what it takes to be successful. Thank you for having me. And, you know, good luck to you guys too, man. I, I hope you guys will text me some pictures of turkeys when your season opens up. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up that episode with Mr. Richard Martinez on all things Osceola's. Jacob, what do you think? Dude, let's plan the trip, man. Let's go. I know, right? Um, I, I really want to. If I could go anywhere to hunt any kind of turkey, it would be Osceola's for sure. Yeah, that was – we never brought it up in the episode, but one of the first times I actually heard of Osceola's was from you talking about how you wanted to do a trip down there. Actually, I think this was back in college, and something fell through, and you weren't able to do it. Yeah, I was and just it, poor. And then we talked about <laughs> doing it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go next year, man. And then, yeah, it didn't and then I was still poor the next year. <laughs> yep, yep. Ain't got the money, bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's a fun, it's a fun episode. It really kind of opens up the door to just the opportunities down there. A ton of public land opportunities uh, from quota to uh, lottery drawing to, with the SOA, uh, to the quota, um, well, hold on. I, I botched that. Yeah, the quota, which you put as a preference point system. Yeah. Then you have the SOA uh, lottery drawing, and then you have the open permit areas, uh, yeah. which is like what I hunted, uh, which is just kind of interesting. But um, yeah, yeah, which it can be confusing, but there there is some good maps on FWC's website uh, that have to do with all that stuff. So I, I I went through it like two years ago when I when I really thought I was going to be able to make it down there, and then it kind of fell through at the last second. Uh, I looked through that stuff, and there, there's a, a lot of public land, like you said. There's plenty of stuff down there that's pretty wide open. We got we got Doc the Munsterlander in here, um, sitting interrupting, on, <laughs> sitting almost a five, sitting almost on a five hundred dollar jacket right now. Don't be mm, chewing on baller. it, baller. Man, he loves like he's just laying on electronics to see if he. Yeah, I know he's laying on top. This is a uh, this is my mom and stepfather's Munsterlander right here. His name is Doc. He's a small Munsterlander, uh, and he's pretty slick. He's Great. a cool little cool little dude. Great looking pup. Yeah, he's a great... Ah, don't eat that. <laughs> don't be chewing on electronics, bud. <laughs> Seven months old. He's a little curious. He's a little too curious. Don't chew on electrical cords. There you please. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's cute. But yeah, I'm I'm pumped up about some Osceola's. I don't know when, uh, when I'll be able to go down there, but I, I was really eager to do this episode just because um, it's kind of hard to find content on Osceola turkey hunting, I feel like, um, especially local knowledge. So I really wanted to interview a guy who's local to the area who hunts them every year you know weekend after weekend rather than a guy that you know maybe just goes down there for a weekend which you know you can learn a lot doing that too but there there's nothing like that local knowledge you know yeah well also you know kind of like what uh, richard is saying you know you can't just do that trip in a weekend i mean you need you know, four or five, six days to hunt, really. And so, especially if you're going down there, you don't have any kind of uh, knowledge of the area and kind of what the birds are doing. You know, you're going to have to put in a few days of scouting minimum uh, to kind of figure out what's happening and kind of where to go. And, you know, there are areas like he talked about, uh, not naming any specifically, but if you do some research, you can find some areas that just have 
better odds of success percentage-wise, which is still, I mean, you're not going to, I don't think you're going to find anything over probably 10 to 15% success rates. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, no. but I mean, 15% success rate would be significant. Um, so that's, that's something to kind of check out as well. But I definitely think it's on most people's bucket list uh, when it comes to turkey hunting. If you're a big turkey hunter, it's that Osceola hunt. Um, but anyway, other than that, man, he's chewing up our notes. Yeah, man. He's, eating, he's eating the notepad, man. <laughs> Don't do that, bud. I know you're bored. I know you're bored. But um, other than that, man, just a fun episode. Again, really enjoyed the uh, the conversation. Hopefully, I get some of you guys a little bit more fired up for turkey season, especially uh, some of you guys that are already heading south uh, for the Osceola opener. Uh, if you have a quota hunt or yep. the youth season, which is coming like what the 28th of February. Normally, it's like yes. the last week of February, um, that youth season opens up, and we'll start seeing some birds die, I'm sure, on yep. social media. Um, but other than that, um, got a lot of things kind of happening, rocking and rolling. We've got uh, – still wanting some of you guys to be short reporters. We've had a lot of people come in and uh, from the state of Georgia in Alabama. Definitely don't need any more Alabama listeners. Thank you all so much for the ones that have, um, you know, sending your information. But – you know, all other states across the, the southeast and across the country, uh, if you're a listener right now, and maybe this is the first time you've ever listened to the show, we do a program in the springtime. This is the third year in a row we've been doing it called The Strut Report. It's a bonus episode every week where we will interview between four to seven guys a week uh, from across the country, different states of what's really working right now in their areas and also what the turkey activity is like. So if you'd like to be a part of that program and be one of our reporters, please shoot us a message or an email, and the best way to go to the email and check it out is go to our contact page on uh, our website, which our website is the Southern Outdoors Men, and it's M-E-N, not M-A-N, southernoutdoorsmen.com, uh, or you can just shoot us an email, uh, which is info at the Southern Outdoors Men, again, M-E-N.com. Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to put a link in uh – I'll put a link to that contact form in the show notes for sure. Yeah, so if you if you're listening right now, you can check out the show notes and hit that link and uh, and then shoot us a message. That'd be awesome. In the email, include your name, phone your, number, phone your, number, phone number, phone number, phone number. Your phone number. <laughs> if you if you don't if you don't remember to do anything else, just your name and phone number is fine. But yeah. your name, your phone number, what state you hunt in, and kind of how often are you planning on being hunting? You know, are you a weekend warrior? Are you going to be getting out four or five days a week? Uh, and that will really help us. And, uh, again, we'll add you to the list. But um, other than that, um, I guess the only other thing, dude, we got a little update on, we still have some more hats. If you are wanting to rock any Southern Outdoors merchandise, I mean, I can't talk A little bit of them. a tongue twister Ooh. there. Boy, listen, I talk for a living, and uh, it's definitely catching up to me all today. But um, if you <laughs> – you know, again, love the show. You want to support the show uh, and rock some Southern Outdoors and merch. Uh, you can go to our website again, the Southern Outdoors Men M E N dot com uh, slash shop. You can check out all of our new merchandise. We got a bunch of hats up uh, for sale right now, and uh, again, it's another way just to support the show. So we appreciate everyone that's been ordering hats. We've been getting orders out as quickly as possible. Uh, but the weather recently, especially with this major ice storm that's hitting uh, a lot of the country right now. Uh, has uh, greatly affected the situation, especially when it comes to shipping. But uh, just thank you for everybody that's been supporting the show, trying all new merch, and uh, also all the Patreon supporters. Man, y'all are been killing it. Thank y'all so much. Yeah, and, for sure. And we got listen. We got to wrap it up with reviews. Yes. Listen. So I already got them pulled. Oh, up. He's already got them pulled up. We we support. We appreciate so much of all you guys that's been leaving us reviews. You know. 
per our analytics, about 70% of you all listen on iTunes. If you are listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts right now, please pause the podcast, go down to the bottom of our page, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Uh, but leave us a review. Leave us a written review. And again, we try to read out the new reviews every single week. Now, you know, we had a goal to hit 500 before turkey season, and we completely had blown past it. So Smashed it. Maybe we, let's try to hit 600 before the Osceola season in South Florida opens, uh, which general – uh, I, guess, I think the general season opens March, March 6th. 6th. Yeah. So let's hit 600 by the 6th of March. That would be killer. Yeah, and we're sitting at 556 right now. So listen, it ain't going to take many of you guys to just drop There's us a quick thousands review. of you. Tens of thousands. Come on now. Uh, please leave us a review. We really appreciate it. But I know Andrew's going to read through a couple of them. And uh, you're going to have to tell me where you're at because I don't even think about it. So don't, uh, be, don't be smacking like you got some peanut butter in your mouth, bud. <laughs> Dad, damn it. I, I knew as soon as I did that, you're going to call me out. Um. Let's start with uh, yeah, yeah. Give me a date. <clears throat> I'm gonna go to February 10th. Oh, oh no! Someone said Thunder Chickens. Oh, you get out of here, bud. Wait, I'm Thunder so, Chickens. They the last the most recent count. Oh recent, yeah, yeah. No, I saw. Listen, that. I, I don't I don't like the term. I ain't even like a crazy turkey hunter. But listen, I hear Thunder Chickens. I might say disgrace. <laughs> the turkeys <laughs> everywhere. The <laughs> disgrace to turkeys everywhere. All right, this is from a uh, J Harris FL. Great podcast, five stars. I enjoy what you uh, you all are doing here. Great content, definitely keeps my attention. I recently listened to the Turkey GPS podcast, and it was excellent. Learned a lot from the turkey doctor and reading his Instagram post. Turkeys are thick down here in southwest Florida. Thanks for what you do. I bet he liked this episode. Oh, yeah. I wonder I wonder if he's like, oh, yeah, drop a pen for you boys and come on down. Hey, no. I'm not opposed to no. that. <laughs> Give you a little discount on a hat. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so uh, this is uh, Five Stars in, uh, Impact I'm sorry, info packed from W Price 87. The quality of the guests uh, that in the, the info they bring, mainly talking turkey episodes, is some of the best in the podcast world. Keep it up, guys. Let's see. Uh, man, you smacked again. Dang Pe- it. Peanut oh. butter. Dude, get the oh, peanut butter man. out of your mouth. Dang it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, newbie with a capital N. Um, this guy says, first, let me say I'm a new listener and just finished my second episode, 223. My 13-year-old son and I listen to our way to school every morning, new to the show and public land hunting. Thanks for the content. I've heard y'all say you needed reviews from iTunes listeners. I'm going to tell you I had a devil of a time finding out how to do so, but I did it. Uh, awesome show, and I look forward to hearing what y'all crank out soon. Thanks, man. So he only listened to uh, two episodes and then came and left us a five-star review. That guy knows what's up. The rest of you guys have been listening for two years and haven't left one yet. Take note. This, this guy's a good example. He's a leader. He's a leader. I like this guy. He's a leader. I like this guy. All right, so this is from uh, McDonald, Tennessee. Five stars. Woke me up. It's the title. This podcast is life-changing. I'm 52 years old uh, with a career that keeps uh, – oh, goodness gracious. I'm I'm a 52-year-old dude with a career that keeps my hunting time short. The interviews the guys uh, with these successful hunters have absolutely changed the way I look at everything. The only regret I have is that I didn't hear the show until December of 2020. Using these new tactics I've learned from the show, I found more sign in the postseason in the same areas I've always hunted. I've been doing it all wrong, hunting in open areas with pretty woods. Now, I'm finding bucks in big buck sign um, and have no doubt next year will be a success. I'll update in September. Love it. Keep it up. 
And yeah. that's, that's kind of going after our deer hunting tactics. But that's really interesting, again, kind of hearing guys like that. And just takes a different perspective. When you hear it from one person, you're like, oh, dude, it clicks. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's a big thing on the show. I've had conversations with people about that before is, especially when you get to, like, the older guys that we have on, like the old-timers who've been around, you know, hunting 30, 40 years. A lot of them, a lot of times, say pretty similar things. You know, there might be a few, like, you know, like differences, like pretty significant differences. But a lot of times they explain the same things. They just do it in different ways. And that's just, you know, it helps it click for different people. Um, didn't someone leave us a review where the subject was like, don't let Jacob read this or something. That was so long ago. I we, we've already read it. We've already read it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Um, all right. Getting into them thunder chickens, uh, from Northwest Florida hunter. Um, in the Northwest Florida or LA, lower Alabama area, a man named Joey Brock has come to mind when talking about the old Tom bird. Uh, personally know him and probably one of the most educated person on long beards. Man knows how to close the deal and is one of the most willing people I've ever met on showing and sharing knowledge to get other hunters on birds. We might need to interview that cat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like a, like a good guy to get on the show. Um, last episode talked about calls and beginners calling which was uh, the one we did with Shane Simpson. Um, Not everyone is confident in slates or mouth calls or any call in general, perhaps. Personally, I was using a box call, but noticed it was loud in times where I wanted to be quiet when that Tom is getting close and he needs some soft purrs to close the deal. The box call was just too loud. I can't mouth call and I'm not confident. Well, Joey told me about the the Lynch Little Jet Slate call. It's gold, baby. It's gold. Uh, if you are just starting out, I'm telling you to invest in this $30 call. Once you get this call, get some 300-grit sandpaper and sand the slate a little and take a lighter burn to your stick and get confident in purring and clucking and yelping on this little call. It's not a loud call at all, but it's what finishes these birds off. It's simple, lightweight, has a volume cut out on the backside. It's perfect for holding your sandpaper to freshen that slate up after some long calling sessions. Uh, please go invest in this little Lynch uh, jet slate call and get confident. It will bring that bird from 80 to 100 to 30 to 50 yards, no problem. That's a pretty hot tip right there. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of calls like that. Another one that I really like is uh, the Woodhaven clucking clucking purr pot. Mm-hmm. That thing is, I mean, slick. You can't you can't be loud on it. I mean, you can't uh, you can't like make any kind of loud piercing yelps i mean it's like those bubble cluck just soft sweet little notes you know that you throw out there but that that's a good tip and the the lighter burn uh to to the tip of your striker that's that's a pretty good tip too yeah i haven't tried that i'm gonna have to try that all right well awesome well to kind of wrap us up again we're sitting at 556 reviews love for to hear some more reviews from you all coming in this week so again if you enjoy the show enjoy some of the other episodes that we did with like shane simpson last week and the week prior with dr michael chamberlain please just leave us a review and uh, tell us what you like tell us some of the people you might want to have or hear on the show and uh again we'll try to read every review that comes in appreciate all this, uh, all the support andrew any final tips tactics or just uh kind of things um, to leave us hanging on this episode uh right in with your uh, turkey suggestions i think the plan going into the spring we're gonna do a couple more episodes like this maybe more like kind of your theme episodes i guess uh but then when we get closer into turkey season of course we're wanting to get those local killers on which richard is one of for sure um but you know if you know of anybody who who you think would be great on the show just especially like a like the guy that that guy uh, 
just mentioned in the review, a guy that's been hunting turkeys for a long time, willing to share some knowledge, just has has a really good knowledge of how to like finish and kill birds and find birds and stuff like that, especially on public land. That's the exact kind of guy we want to talk to, and that's that's the kind of person that gives us our best episodes. So uh, if that and if there's anything that, that people are wanting to hear about specifically, you know, write in and let us know, and we'll be able to seek out a guest on that same topic. So if people are really wanting to hear about, you know, just calling or something, uh, write in and let us know so we kind of know where the demand is and we can produce an episode on that very topic. So that's what I'll leave us with. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for checking out this episode. Make sure you stay tuned for next week's episode. And also check out uh, everything we're dropping on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming out coming this spring. And, uh, again, until next week, y'all stay Southern. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we have went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who will wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies so you guys don't miss it it's june 28th through the 30th i'm telling you if you listen to this podcast this is an event you need to be at now we'll see you guys at the mobile hunters expo june 28th through the 30th in dalton georgia